Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers, and welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 134. My guest for today is Emmanuel M. Pineda. M. goes by the moniker The Hungry Dominican. He is a food blogger and he has a show on BronxNet TV called Foodie Down Bronx. I'm really excited to have him on for a couple of reasons. The first being that I've had people talk about food from all around the world at this point, but I've been looking to have somebody who could talk about food here in New York City. In particular, I'm excited to have him on because he's talking about the Bronx. And the Bronx is a place that, admittedly, I don't know a whole lot about. Right now I'm working in the Harlem. Did I say the Harlem? Right now I'm working in Harlem, which is way closer to the Bronx than anywhere I've lived before. You know, I lived in Bay Ridge and to get up to, to the Bronx to, to go to a Yankee game was like an hour and a half. So just because of proximity, I didn't go there often. But I think something also that M points out is that there is a narrative about the Bronx and maybe even a stigma. And so a lot of people from the outer boroughs or from the island don't really go up to the Bronx that often. And what he's doing is an amazing thing, and is, he's helping to rewrite the narrative about the Bronx. And he's looking to show people, hey, here's all these amazing places you can go eat. Here's some healthy food spots. Here's some exciting things in food that you might not have even heard about. One of the things I kind of regret forgetting to ask him that I had here in my notes is a group called Sustainable Snacks out of the Bronx. Out of the Bronx. So go Google them, Sustainable Snacks. But yeah. He's doing a really good job in creating really interesting content and informing his listeners and his viewers and people out there in the interwebs about really amazing, cool, delicious places you can go to in the Bronx. So I was really excited to, to host him here in my home here in Brooklyn and to, to share a conversation with him about the Bronx and about New York food in general and about his, his story. Afterwards, we went out for a really good lunch at a barbecue joint here in Williamsburg called Fetty Sow. If you haven't been, check it out. It's amazing. But yeah, really, really, really happy to have him on here to, to share his story and happy that I know him now. And he's someone that I can call upon to go share a meal and to hang out. All right, folks, please check out the show notes for this episode and you will find a link to the Hungry Dominican Instagram page and to his show, which I believe you can stream directly from the website if you're not someone with Optimum or you're not somebody here in New York. But also the YouTube page that we'll link to has clips from the show as well as his Instagram has the IGTV option where you can see clips from his show. So check out the show notes for that. Check out the show notes also for my Patreon account. If you want to support the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash the Voyages of Tim Vetter. You can also support just by sharing information about the podcast. Word of mouth stuff is amazing. Uh, if you want to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes or any of those other platforms, that goes, goes a really long way as well. Okay, folks, thank you and enjoy this episode with M.
first, I want to say thank you. Um, you're really quick to respond, and that's awesome. Um, I have, you know, I'm not like really in any sort of like blogging or, or even uh, like food circles, but I've met a few people, uh, sort of that Queens crew. I think you know a bunch of them, um, but like Nigel and Greg. Yes. And I've, I met them at. Have you been to uh, Warung Salasa in Elmhurst? I have not. No. Oh, it's dude. It's really great. Uh, she just has two tables set up, like in the back of a grocery, and it's just like a rotating, uh, rotating uh, circle of people just coming in. You have your meal at the one table, like scrunched in the back. It's like homemade from an Indonesian kitchen. Like it's really amazing. That's um, cool. I, I I will admit that uh, Queens is definitely a borough that I I love from afar. Like I want to mm-hmm. I want to uh, definitely um, explore it more, and so I know it like you know through osmosis in a way. Like I know it through people, but I haven't spent so much time there. Though I've spent considerable amount of time in Flushing and mm. Jackson Heights. Hell yeah. Uh, great spots. I mean, I feel like any anywhere in Queens, really, you're you're gonna luck out on something. Um, and and I've been actually reaching out to that specific Queens crew, and I'm like, guys, I'd love to do a food crawl because there's so much yeah, stuff. And they do it. <laughs> uh, and they do it. And and uh, I'm always uh, I'm always looking at their Instagram posts, and I'm just seeing, you know, they a lot of them do just what I consider just bonkers types of food, mm-hmm. like foods that I am legitimately afraid to try. <laughs> I really am. Like I just and I'll DM them, and I'm like. How was it? Like, like ama- you're amazing. Like, this is so brave of you because I'm just like, I'm not going to eat like an eye, you yeah. know, or, or something <laughs> along those lines. So it's, um, I definitely want to spend some more time with them for sure. Nigel's always kind of like busting my chops about like the foods that I don't eat. Did you, know? you just sort of like cross paths with them like uh, out in the ether over the internet or did you guys like meet somewhere? Well, I met Nigel through uh, the Queen's Night Market. Okay, yeah. Um, I was invited part of the press uh, through one of their, like, uh, preview nights. Okay. And so I met him through there, and uh, we just ended up running into the same, or running in the same circles. And he's just such a lovely guy, Um, and we just kept finding each other. And I'm close friends with uh, this particular Instagram Influencer, his his handle is Chicharonosaurus. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck spelling that one out. But um, and uh, he's he's super prolific in food, like he knows his stuff. Mm. And he and I are very very friendly. We're we're super cool. And he knew Nigel. He he basically knew he knows most of these Queens folks. You know, like he knows them. And so yeah, we just ended up running in the same circles, and that's how I got to meet Nigel. And then uh, through Nigel, I met other people, and and now you know we're. Very very close on Instagram and we'll comment on each other's posts cool. and we'll, we'll send each other messages. And, you know, again, he'll bust my chops and he'll send me like pictures of like things that he knows I'm not going to eat. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and that's what I love about them is they're sort of like a curator of all this information about food in New York. They are. And that's how I found you because like they'll post either a restaurant or a, a person who's got a lot of content. And so I'll just click around and think, like, oh, maybe there's someone interesting for the podcast. And similar to your feelings about Queens, um, which I think is like definitely an underappreciated borough, mm-hmm. I know very little about the Bronx um, just because of proximity. Like uh, we were talking before, I lived in Bay Ridge, an hour and a half up to the Bronx from there, maybe more. Sure. Uh, so I haven't spent a lot of time there. And then I just saw your content too and I was like, oh man, I'd love to talk to him. So uh, thank you to Nigel and the crew. Uh, yeah, for, shout out to Nigel. For unknowingly <laughs> uh, setting up this uh, this podcast today. Um, all right, so 
Are you, we were talking a little bit about where we've been living in the city. Are you originally from New York? Uh, yeah, born and raised in New York, but cool. I, I did spend uh, a considerable amount of time in the Dominican Republic when I was younger. Um, and then when I, you know, got back to the States and settled in, because actually my first language was Spanish. Ah. And, uh, and, you know, just through pure assimilation, it kind of went away a little bit and I was just here. But yeah, I was, I was pretty much born and raised in New York, yeah. So were your parents then like first generation in the States right. in your family? They, they came from, from DR. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, my mother had me when she was uh, relatively young. Um, and then, yeah, that's where my adventures in New York started. Whereabouts were you living when you or when you were so first born? So I was living in the on the cusp of Washington Heights Inwood, which is northern Manhattan. Yeah, which uh, right now is not anywhere close to what it used to be back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I lived there for a majority of my life, and then I lived in the Bronx. The Bronx was where I had my first apartment, actually. So, All right. Yeah, that was like my first, like, you know, big boy move. Yeah. Right? So, like, that was like uh, my first introduction to adulthood. Um, I lived there, and then I actually went back into Washington Heights, and then I found myself in Brooklyn, Upper East Side, spent some time in Queens, uh, back to Brooklyn, back to the Bronx. Well, I, I, I've literally been, like, hopping and skipping uh, across the four boroughs for sure. That's cool though, man, because I think it's, it sounds weird. And, and I always deal with this with kids because, uh, because I've been working in schools. A lot of times I'll talk to the kids and they'll be like, oh, there's nothing to do. And I'm like, you live in New York City, like get out into another borough. And like, they don't yeah. leave their own borough. There's always something to do. Yeah. So it's, it's cool that you have the perspective of different boroughs though, because, uh, you know, communities and neighborhoods, have entirely different personalities, and we'll get into that with food as well. Uh, but it's cool that you then have that perspective of the different areas of New York. Yeah, I um, I, I do, I do love the city, and uh, and I do love the perspectives that I've 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 gotten from living in in each borough. Um, but it's exhausting. Mm. You know, the city is very exhausting. It is. Um, but you know, that's just me sort of like being a, a grumpy New Yorker, mm. you know, it's like, uh, but, but I do love you yeah, again. I do love the perspectives I've gotten. Um, I feel like, you know, that's one of the reasons that I, I don't, I can understand the, um, misinformation about the Bronx mm. because if you're not there, then you just assume it's this, you know, this faraway land that is inaccessible. Um, but, you know, being there is no different than being in Brooklyn. It's, it's, it, all these boroughs are really, they're so interconnected that, you know, even though each neighborhood does have its own personality, there are so much more things that are similar than dissimilar when you live in so many different parts of, you know, New York. I'm going to circle back to that, to that idea about the Bronx in a little bit. Uh, so I want to make sure I put a pin in that. Um, but in terms of so when I talk to people who, who do things in food, whether they're, they're chefs or they're bloggers, I think a lot of people have a, an important memory or like a good feeling that's tied to food, like mm-hmm. from their youth, something that sort of like set them on the path of like, man, uh, I'm really into food more than just something that sustains me and I have to eat to survive, right. right? So it sounds really silly, but when I think back to my childhood, my dad would make pancakes every Saturday mm-hmm. and he would make them into like weird shapes and stuff, like things that were happening that week. Um, 
sometimes like <laughs> to like offend my sister for like the boyfriend she was dating and stuff like just like weird stuff. Um, but I loved it. Like, cause every Saturday I had to look forward to like my dad making pancakes. Uh, do you have uh, a memory of food from your early childhood that you think maybe like set you off on this path? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my mother was a single mother and like I had mentioned before, she had me when she was young. So, um, I can only imagine, you know, how intense it must have been for her to be a young single mother. Um, but the one thing that she always made sure we did was sit down and eat at our, at our table. Um, but primarily, it was Sunday mornings that were the best for me. Because mm. That's when she would wake up early and make a traditional Dominican breakfast. So we had our mangu, which was our mashed plantains. We had our salami. We had our fried cheese. We had our onions. We had our fried eggs. It's just like... It's heaven. Mm. And, uh, and it was funny because she was always, uh, she was very adamant about me reading the New York Times after breakfast, right? So we had like the Sunday New York Times, which is like the size of a book, yeah. right? Like a thick book. Um, and we had this beautiful spread in the morning. And uh, we had family in the building that we lived in. So they were, they were always invited to come over. Um, and that to me always stands out in my mind because, you know, she was super busy um, and she did make me, you know, dinner when she could during the week, but Sundays were special because Sundays were Sunday breakfast, the times, maybe we'll catch like a game on TV or just spend the day reading. And that to me was just like this, this beautiful memory of mine that was just perpetually happening every weekend. So, so that to me is one of the, if not the first, definitely the best food memory I, I I've ever had for sure. If you were going to try to to replicate that in New York, obviously you can't replicate the experience of being around like all your family and, and like knowing that special day. But at least in terms of the food, like Dominican food here in New York City, uh, where are you going? So um, there were pretty there were pretty good options where I grew up because I was I was mainly in a Dominican neighborhood, so I did have options outside of home. Uh, more recently, though, I actually do love this spot right here in Brooklyn. Uh, it's called Puerto Viejo. Um, which is, I believe, in Prospect Heights um, or, or Clinton Hill. It's just okay. like, for me, it's like I, sometimes I don't even realize what yeah. name. They blend. You know, they, they <laughs> blend, right. Um, so I, I do love this spot called Puerto Viejo. Um, I'm friendly with the, uh, with the owners and, and their daughter who does a lot of their uh, social media and marketing. But I do love it because it does make me feel like I'm – in the Dominican Republic. Mm. It, it's just, it's a very cool vibe that triggers, whether it's like a sensory thing or just like, you know, even the music they play or it's just, I walk in there and I feel like I'm literally on like a dirt road. I just parked and I walked into this restaurant Hell yeah. and I'm getting some slamming Dominican food. That's awesome. Um, so I do love that spot and I will make the trip from the Bronx to Brooklyn specifically to eat their food. Whoa. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Are there a lot of options in the Bronx still? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, there's tons. Um, there's actually a spot in uh, Fordham Road, um, very close to, to a major shopping district. Um, and actually, this spot is called uh, 188 Bakery Cuchifrito. Um, and it was, um, it was actually in an episode of Anthony Bourdain's show. Oh, yes, it was. Right. That Bronx so, episode is great. Yeah. So I learned about that spot through him because wow. actually when that episode aired, I wasn't living in the Bronx. And I was like, I can't believe that I was this close yeah. 
to that spot because like I had mentioned before, I had my first apartment in the Bronx, walking distance from that restaurant, never realizing I was oh, that man. close. And so I see this, uh, this restaurant in his episode and now I go there. So basically I, I go from 188 or I go to Puerto Viejo in Brooklyn. All right. Yeah, but, the, but believe me, there are endless options of Caribbean Latin food in, in, uh, in the Bronx for sure. Cool. Um, all right, so at what point then, because uh, we'll get into some of your content, but the Instagram's awesome. Thank you, um, thank you. I've been, like, I've been watching the show through the clips and like the IGTV stuff that you have right. uh, to get you know, acclimated and affiliated with you, and it's great. Thank you so much. Uh, and also, like, your presence and you speak really well. I was watching you. I was like, oh, shit, I got to be on my game when, when we <laughs> I record. appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, at what point did you think, like, okay, I want to start either, like, documenting or blogging or, uh, you know, putting out content? Well, uh, at this point, I've had Instagram for five years. And there was a point, I'd say, about a year or two ago where I really wanted to start using my platform for something else. Um, it feels a little or a lot self-serving when mm. I just sort of put up pictures of food and say, I went here, I went there and I had a great time and, you know, this and that. And, you know, uh, that's all fun. That's all great. And I will continue to live that type of lifestyle as long as it's, you know, uh, there for me. But I realized that there's so much more I could use my platform for. And having uh, moved back into the Bronx... And realizing how, you know, diverse it is and how much, um, not just different foods there are, but how many people don't have access to good food. I was like, I have to do something about this. I have to, you know, I have to put myself out there and give other people platforms or a platform to speak about the fact that there's a lot of food injustice in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And I'm very... Um, I'm grateful for the position that I've that I've gotten through social media and the fact that again I can go out and 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 eat and meet great people and have all these wonderful foods but I'm living in a borough where that's not really the case. Um and so the network that I'm with now they actually came up to me last year and they were like do you want to do a show? And I said no, I have no ideas. I have nothing to really put out there right now so no. And I remember walking away and I was like thinking man, how many people would love this opportunity to have a show? But I really didn't feel like I was ready to put anything out there. And I wasn't going to do necessarily the Hungry Dominican show. You know, I think, I think people, they, they, they can um, easily think of you a certain way based off of your captions or the mm. content that you create. And so I think maybe initially they wanted me to be like this silly, goofy guy on screen. And for me, it's like, there's always room for that. Like but, a caricature almost. Right, yeah. exactly, like a caricature. And for me, it's like, yeah, sure, there's room for that, but I wasn't really feeling it. And so a few months later, I actually organized a food panel or a panel about food in the Bronx. Cool. And it had restaurateurs, it had um, some home chefs, it had some business people, some social media folks from the Bronx, and I called it Foodie Down Bronx. And it went pretty well. And that panel, the day after I had the panel, I had such great reception because of it. 
the crowd just loved the panelists and the crowd loved the message. And the message was really just, you know, how social media is changing uh, people's perception of the Bronx. How can you make your business thrive? Um, and it gave a lot of people that usually don't have uh, a camera or a crowd in front of them a chance to speak. The day after the panel happened and I got all these wonderful uh, responses about it, I was like, I think this is what I want to do for a show. I, I want to take the idea of taking Bronx residents and giving them a platform to speak about their business. And so that's how the, the show was sort of birthed, mm. you know. And from there, we've, we've done already about 17 episodes since, uh, since the summer. We're, we're basically like at a full TV network season, you know. Like we're almost like 22 episodes Yeah, in. that's awesome. Yeah. There's, there's a few things I want to unpack from that. Yeah. Um, the first is like I totally understand sort of your mission statement then because this started out where I was like, I want to do something creative. Um, let me tell my travel stories. And yeah, it is very self-indulgent, uh, but it was all I had at first because mm-hmm. I had no credibility. No one knew who I was. No one was going to, you know, I didn't have a, a guest list, a hundred guests long already. So who was going to say yes to coming on some random dude's podcast? Right. And everyone wants to do a podcast nowadays. Uh, but what it's evolved into is like, it's the voyages of Tim Vetter, but it's really <laughs> the voyages of everyone else because right. uh, I'm more so just sort of facilitating a space where people can talk about things from lives that I'm not living. Uh, but it has been amazingly uh, fulfilling for my own life because I get to meet all these people from from different cultures, from different countries, from different identities. Uh, now I'm friends with them and they're doing all these really cool things. Uh, so it, in that sense, it's, it is really good for me, right. but it is uh, it does feel really good to be able to have a space or a platform for people to be able to tell their story where they might not have been able to. Unlike you, you have a, a, a really cool platform already. Um, but again, like I can't talk intelligently about the Bronx or about Dominican food. Uh, I was in DR once, <laughs> like a total tourist, like 10 years ago. I hadn't traveled anywhere yet. Listen, you, you, you can't be anything but a tourist, especially well, the first time you go somewhere, right? Well, so it's, you, you played it perfectly. <laughs> I'll tell you this, though. Like, I hadn't, at this point, I've, I've been all around the world, but at that time, I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I'll go to a resort. And that's seeing a country. And, like, yes, that's you, know, true. you can't stay in a resort. No. Right. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, which I, I've since learned. But yeah, just, just to say that I totally understand that platform. And, and that's a really cool thing that you're doing for the Bronx. Thank you. Um, to get back to what I put a pin in before, and there's a couple other things I want to unpack from what you said, but I definitely think that there's probably, or there, there's this perception of the Bronx, right? Um, which like most places is unfair. Like if people think of the Bronx, I know they think of like Yankee Stadium, right? But immediately I think people think like, oh, South Bronx, that's a dangerous place, right? right. And it's like, yeah, maybe, or maybe it's just something that you've heard about or <laughs> a place you've never actually been. Uh, so I've seen you say before that you're trying to sort of change the narrative about the Bronx. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely trying to do my part in changing the narrative. You know, I've I've been um, very lucky with the show to meet a lot of younger millennials who they themselves are also trying to change the perception of the Bronx. Um, so I'm not in any way alone in this mm. in this fight, you know. Um, but going out with you know, certain people that I've met through Instagram and, and spending time with them and, and, you know, breaking bread. And we get into these conversations about, you know, each borough and, 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 uh, and and there's this overtly negative 
response to the Bronx, really ignorant stuff that yeah. I hear that, you know, I let it sort of fly through me because I'm just not going to pick an argument with someone that, you know, I don't know that well. Um, and so instead of me sort of having this, you know, one-on-one, I said to myself, well, if this person is thinking this, then this must be multiplied across. Um, so why not use something like a show to change the perception? And and again, going back to the guests that I have, I'm lucky in the, in, in the fact that everyone on there understands, even without it being said, what the mission statement for the show is. That's cool. And... And I've been schooled a lot. I've been learning a lot through my guests because I am in no way a professional when it comes to the things that I'm uh, talking about. I am someone that I've always said this, even with my Instagram account, when you see me post up a picture and it's, it's about a certain type of food, I'm learning it as much as you're learning it. Mm -hmm. We're going through this together, right? I mean, it's social media, so we're being social. So, you know, I'm not putting up a picture of something and pretending I'm an expert. Uh, It's, it's more like, oh, I had this you know, new thing, or, or I've had this for the first time and, you know, this is amazing or, uh, you know, I love this. And with the show, you know, I didn't realize that there was such a huge vegan movement in the mm. Bronx because again, I was susceptible to the idea that the Bronx was super unhealthy. You know, I'm guilty of that. I'll admit that um, because it's, it's what's put out there, you know, and again, I lived there prior, but I wasn't absorbing the realities of the Bronx. And so I was like, oh yeah, it must be super unhealthy because they're saying so, you know? And a lot of the food options in the Bronx, um, it, it, it's very mall-like, meaning like it's just fast food, mm-hmm. fast food, fast food. But then I, I, I start my show and I'm meeting these millennials who are opening businesses that are strictly vegan who are farming in the Bronx, who are pushing the message that the Bronx is healthy. Um, but the truth is, is that, you know, people, it, it's, it's inaccessible for so many people. So what's the easiest thing to do? Just go into a fast food joint and just have some food, you know? Um, but yeah, I wanted to make sure that I could change the narrative of the Bronx. And, but but it, I'm nothing without my guests and I'm nothing without the team behind the show. Because again, I'm learning and I do want to put the information out there and I want to make sure that people understand that you can come to the Bronx and you can find exactly what you're going to find in Brooklyn. You can, you can find exactly what you, you find in Queens. And we've given those two boroughs some sort of free pass, but the Bronx just kept, you know, I'm sorry, it keeps getting stuck mm. in this just rut of we're not going there. I'd like to expand on something in there that you've brought up a couple times. I think, uh, f- Depending on where people live, they might not even understand what the concept of like food injustice or what a food desert even is. Right. So when you say something's inaccessible, do you mean because it's really expensive or because it's, it's literally just not located there? Um, let's expand on that so people can understand that. So the first thing is that it's not there. You have neighborhoods in the Bronx that just don't have healthy options. They just don't. And I'm not talking about going into a giant supermarket and staying in the, you know, fruit section or, or you know, th- that's every supermarket. I'm talking about a designated spot where you can walk in and you can have yourself, let's say, a quinoa bowl mm. or a variety of smoothies to choose from, something of that nature. Those things are far and few between. 
Now, are they popping up in the Bronx right now? Of course they are. Because again, going back to those younger millennials who are pushing for these businesses, those things are popping up. So they do exist. But the narrative has already been written. Mm. So even though we have these healthier options and they keep showing up, the perception is still there. Um, They started a, a campaign a few years ago called Not 62, because the Bronx was 62 out of 62 when it came to the unhealthiest counties. So Whoa. we were at the bottom. And we're still at the bottom. And so, again, even though the narrative is slightly changing, the overall book's been written, right? So people just assume it is what it is. So, yes, it's that. It's the fact that it's not literally located near most people. And there's also this perception, and this, this part comes through just pure education, there is a perception that eating healthy or living a healthy lifestyle in the Bronx is super expensive, which is literally not the truth. It's so far from the truth, it's, it's mind-boggling how people can assume that living healthier is more expensive. And, and I'm talking about mainly you know, homemade meals because, yes, healthier options tend to somehow be more expensive than, than you know, unhealthier options. And that, but that's, that's statewide, that's mm-hmm. citywide. It's not just, you know primarily the Bronx. But, you know, I tell people this and and because I've been told this, think about a Dominican diet. Right. Most of the stuff we have is vegan, if not vegetarian. We're just adding the meats. We're just adding extra stuff because we want it. But I can rock my rice and beans and sweet plantains and I'm happy. And that's a pure vegan meal that costs nothing. Right. Um, so, you know, you take that little sort of DNA and you, you expand it into something else and you try to school people on the fact that, Eating healthy does not have to cost you much. Um, but, you know, if it's not there for them to see and it's not there for them to to take in, they're not going to take it in. It's funny that you mentioned that because I think that we take for granted here in the U.S. that, you know, the, the protein portion or the meat portion is the largest portion of your plate. Right. But I've been a lot of places now where it's like, um, at least traditionally going back years and years, uh, you were, you know, meat was a couple days a week or you were lucky to have a day where you had like mm-hmm. a lot of protein and meat and things are primarily plant-based, a lot of rice, a lot of grains and things like that. Um, so that's interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and again, that's, that's something that as obvious as it is, especially, you know, for me, when it was told to me, it was like this aha moment. And I just realized, well, well, damn, like I've been eating this all my life and I didn't realize that I was eating a vegan mm-hmm. meal. Um, but that's the thing. It's like if, if someone can just come in and say, hey, this is what this is, you just have that moment of like clarity where you're like, oh my God, you're right. I don't have to necessarily have all this meat or this extra stuff. Um, and, and honestly, I was, I was told all of this. I was kind of like my eyes were opened again during the process of the show. I've had vegan chefs on. I've had chefs on that that will make vegetarian meals. And they'll just be like, just cut this out, cut that out, and boom, vegetarian, mm. boom, vegan. And I'm like, of course. This is amazing, you know. But but again, I just think that if you don't tell people, even if it's super obvious, even if it's in their face and you just don't point it out, people, you know, they won't see it there, you know. Is that why I saw that you had gone vegan for a while? Is that why you did that to sort of promote that uh, those types of places in the Bronx? Well, so I went vegan um, primarily because it was it was very much a personal journey for me. I wanted to uh, 
practice sort of the art of accountability, right? Okay. Meaning that I wanted to put out there on social media that I'm going to do something and I wanted to be held accountable for it, right? Okay. So I said, well, you know what? I've been eating all these amazing foods, and um, but I'm actually kind of feeling a little bit bogged down by what I've been eating, you know? Because of course, you know, needless to say, what you put in your body dictates so much mm. of what's going to make, you know, how you're going to feel, uh, your, your physical state, your mental state. And at that point I was kind of feeling like super blah. I was like, man, you know, just everything is hurting and it's gotta be this diet of mine. And so I did it because I wanted to be held accountable for something. So I said veganism, right? So like, what's like the most intense thing that I can do considering I have a food blog, I'm going to just switch it up and cut off the meat and cut off the dairy. So I did it for two months and Funny enough, I was in talks with the show or, you know, to start the show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, oh man, you know, they're going to want me to eat everything on this show because yeah. I'm, you know, <laughs> the hungry Dominican, right? So I'm like, well, I'm in the middle of this vegan thing, but I don't want to stop it. So I did it for that, for the accountability part. Once I started, I felt incredible. I felt amazing. Wow. Um, and so I was like, you know, I don't, I, I know that I'm not going to, live this lifestyle, but this feels pretty damn great. And the first week was a little bit hard for me. Uh, my body was just, you know, and, and your body has to adjust to this completely different diet. And so that was like hell for me. <laughs> Once I went through that first week, I was just, I was riding high. I was, I felt super great. July comes along. All of a sudden I have these crazy cravings for um, fish and chicken, Whoa. right? Like I was, I was dying, man. I was just like, <laughs> it was super intense for me. Um, but funny enough, I wasn't craving pork or red meat. Mm. And at that point I physically felt better. I felt lighter. Of course I was sleeping way better. Wow. I wasn't even getting as hungry as I usually would. Um, you know, and, and, and that's also, and I also mixed in a little bit of intermittent, I'm sorry, intermittent fasting. And so all, and I cut out sugar as well. Right. So all of that Whoa, mixed okay. in made for really just two amazing months. Um, but I knew I wasn't going to live that lifestyle. So once I did it, I actually became an advocate for, for vegans. Like I support people who live that lifestyle. And that's why I invite so many on my show because there are so many benefits to being a vegan. Um, and sure, there's a lot of, you know, bad food out there. If you decide to become a vegan, that's understandable. Right. You can, you could fry up anything. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, French fries are vegan. Right. So right. like you can go crazy uh, off of French fries, but, um, but I do support that community. I I'm an advocate for them. And I actually, I've decided that once a year I should revisit it maybe for like about three, four months because it's just a, it's an awesome reset for your body. Oh, that's cool. It just feels amazing when you're on it. If you can just get to that first week. <laughs> Can you think of a specific vegan spot in the Bronx or a couple vegan spots in the Bronx that people should check out? Oh, the, the, yeah, for sure. The number one spot that I would say, number one spot is uh, Next Stop Vegan. Uh, they are located in Archer Street in the Bronx. And I actually had the owner of Next Stop Vegan on my show. Her name is Blenji Mena. And she has an amazing story. So I would say, I don't want, I don't want to speak for her. So I okay. would just say, watch that episode of her on my show. She has an incredible story about how she basically started off in a kitchen and now has her own restaurant in the Bronx. Um, you know, she was doing the catering, uh, food delivery, 
purely vegan stuff. It's awesome. Right now, they're only open Friday and Saturdays because um, they, 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 they mainly do their, their catering and food service. But I would say go there. They cool. make incredible Dominican vegan food. Oh, wow. Like really, really awesome stuff. So cool. I would say visit them. Um, Friday and Saturday evenings are open. Great stuff. Another um, uh, great spot to read. Well, they don't have a brick and mortar, but you can you can find them on Instagram. It's um, it's a couple, and they have a company called No Carne, No Meat, and they they have an online store where you can buy vegan products, but they also make their own vegan products. Oh, cool. And they'll jump around like, you know, certain places in the Bronx and they'll sell their homemade stuff. But um, Next Stop Vegan would be the spot that I would say go to because, you know, they, they do have a brick and mortar. You can go in there. You can order some amazing food. Um, and again, you don't feel like you're skimping out on anything. You feel amazing, you know, when you eat. And, and the food is really legitimately good. Awesome. Thank you for yeah, those recs. For sure. <laughs> uh, you mentioned too... Um, Farming, and I, I I watched one clip, but I think the woman that you had on on your show had a farm up in like Orange County. Uh, that was uh, Karen Walker. Yes. Okay. Do you know of any projects where people are like reclaiming land within the Bronx, making urban farms or anything like that, or like co-ops or things like that? Uh, I I went to a garden uh, recently. It was a community garden um, where. It was uh, Isanet Batista from Woke Foods oh. um, and a couple of other uh, community organizers that um, took over the space specifically to make uh, Sancocho, which is a Dominican stew. Um, they called it the Big Bronx Sancochazo. Oh, cool. And uh, in that space, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a public space, but there is a garden behind um, this fence, right? So you walk in and you have this really great space and then you keep walking and you see a fence and then boom, there's a garden. Um, so that's one that I'm familiar with. And I have to get more familiar with more spaces in the Bronx. Mm, okay. Because there's so much greenery. There's so much land there. The Bronx is huge. It's massive. <laughs> yeah. I it's don't know if massive. people realize that. It's huge. It's crazy big. It's, yeah. it's, it's like um, it, there's so much forest there yeah. that it's, it's unreal. You know? um, so I do know that of, of, of that spot. Um, but again, you know, I take the show as also a, a learning tool. So I'm learning mm. about these new places and I also want to, you know, for me, it's like, I have to definitely ingrain myself more into the farming community in the Bronx because that's something that I wasn't aware of at all. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I was like, wow, community gardens. What's, what's going on here? What's, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, I just did not realize that that was happening there. That's another way, like we were saying, to give people access, right, to, right. you know, sources of food that they might not otherwise have access to. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it was very cool. It was a, it was very heartwarming because, you know, I, you know, you walk around the Bronx and, and don't get me wrong, the Bronx is, it's, it's you know, it, it isn't this desolate place. It isn't like... You know, it's, again, really no different than any other borough. Um, but there are moments when you walk around and you're like, wow, you know, if only even these Bronx locals knew what was going on in the Bronx, mm. their whole perception of their home would change, you know. Because, again, I'll go back to the fact that I lived in the Bronx prior, years ago, and I moved back. And I moved back pretty recently. 
So I've technically lived in the Bronx three times in my life. Okay. Okay, This is my third try, right? (laughs) And I think I'm sort of there. Um, But one of the things that I decided to do coming back into it, and and it sort of just perfectly timed itself with with getting the show and, and my Instagram platform becoming a little bit more Bronx- heavy was I told myself, I was like, I'm going to come back home and I'm going to learn about this borough. I'm going to really put myself in the middle of everything. Cause when I was living in the Bronx prior, I felt very isolated mm. physically, like literally yeah, I was it's far. isolated. Yeah. It was super, you know, I was, I was a, at a far end section of the Bronx where everything was just, again, and, and this is where I empathize with people who live in the Bronx who don't have access to foods. You just don't want to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go out. So you rely on what's around you. And that's what I did. I relied on my local businesses, which, you know, as good as they were, were not promoting anything remotely healthy. And so now that I'm back in the Bronx and I'm a little bit more centralized and localized, I'm like, okay, great. This is, okay, so there's, you know, this healthy spot here. There's this uh, health store. There's this, you know, smoothie spot. I'm going to go and patronize these places because I have to know exactly what is going on here. Yeah, that's cool, man. Uh, I'm going to circle back to the to the veganism thing for a second because I, I do think it's really cool that uh, you're also using your platform to show some options kind of, I mean, this sounds cheesy, but like some options for, for doing some good in the world, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I know that you're working on a new dietary restriction um, to sort of shed light on the, is it the Holy Apostles? Soup kitchen? Yes. Um, so I recently just shared a story on my on my Instagram and on my Facebook um, about Holy Apostles. So in December of 2010, um, and for about half a year after that, I found myself homeless. And wow. I was in a very dire situation. Um, and you know, I, I call it a series of unfortunate events. Just these things were, it was like a whirlpool of just bad stuff that was happening. And I found myself without a home and I went through the system. Um, I was staying in shelters. I was, you know, I was whatever you might think, uh, a person, you know, in that, in that world goes through, I went through. And Holy Apostles was a space that I utilized for my meals. Mm. And their whole thing is that we give you meals every day, no matter who you are. You don't even have to be someone who's in dire need. You could be a dude from Wall Street. You can walk in and you can get yourself a meal, no questions asked. That's amazing. So I utilize their space and uh, they're just lovely people. The staff are just lovely people. And luckily... um, I only went through it for that half year. Uh, it was hard. It was, you know, it was it was mentally taxing, physically taxing. Um, but I will say this: my story is nowhere near as rough as most of these people's stories. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, even though I went through it, I went through it for a reason, and I went through it because I needed to be humbled and understand that in this city, in this country. People suffer. Um, And so recently I shared that story and I said as much. I said, you know, I went through this in uh, December of 2010 and a few months after that. And I contacted Holy Apostles and I said, hey guys, you know, I have this platform. 
and again, very similar to the the, the Foodie Down Bronx show, I wanted to to use my platform mm-hmm. to say, hey, I might be this food blogger you know, but I've been through some stuff and I know that people are are starving. I know people are having a hard time getting access to food. I went to them and I said, what can we do together? Um, because this is my story. And actually, they were the first people outside of some family members that I told my story to. And of course, it was appropriate because I, I was there practically every day for six mm-hmm. months. And so... We got together and and they're doing their um, eighth annual fastathon, and I said, "What can I do to help you guys out?" And they said, "Well, it's a fundraiser. You know, you set how much you'd like to um, uh, give to us." And so I set a goal of eight hundred dollars, and I put it out there. You know, one dollar equals one hot meal for someone who who goes to Holy Apostles, and I joined them on that. And I very much intend to, to have that relationship continue because. I do love that space. Um, the church itself is actually a New York City landmark. You know, the, the space itself is just, it's, it's beautiful. Um, and so I'm using my show to put the, you know, the word out there. But I'll, I'll admit that I was very, I was very scared at first to, to put it out there that I went through this because it's such a personal experience. But honestly, it's like, you know, what do I have to lose? I mm. literally lost it all already yeah. years ago. Right. And I regained my life and I'm at a great, you know, point in my life right now. But, you know, going through something like that is is it's unforgettable and it does change you. Um, and I, I do want to use my platform, whether it be the show or my Instagram and say to people that this stigma we have of homelessness has has to go away. You know, it, it's got to go away. If you're passing, if you're walking down the street and you're seeing someone beg for for change, a lot of people will look and say, oh, look at that bum. Oh, that person doesn't want to get a job. That person, you know, whatever. And look, there are some bad apples. There are some people that might, you know, abuse that that position and they'll just scrounge up a lot of money and, you know, do whatever they do with it. I think that's the, the, the first thing that people assume. And, you know, unfortunately, those people exist. But a majority of the people that you see that are asking for change They've been through the system. Mm. They've been through shelters. And shelters have a time limit. You can't stay in a shelter forever. And what they do is you go from a shelter and they try to find you a home. But sometimes that doesn't pan out. So the system is broken, right? That's why it's a perpetual problem. Yeah, it's something that I've become privy to through working in like high needs districts is that how many people living in shelters. And like you said, you know, obviously... There's a lot going on to mm-hmm. that that got you to live in a shelter, and so like a lot of kids who are living in shelters, they become truant. Mm-hmm. They don't right. want to go to school. Right. They don't want the stigma. But if you're not going to school, you can lose your housing. Like you, you can exactly. lose your spot in the housing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I've been talking about this. So you just met Leslie, but we've been talking about this a lot because we'll bring like snacks on the train, mm-hmm. um, so that when people come by, like if we have it, we'll we'll give out. We have these like big boxes of granola bars and stuff. But I take. In the morning, I get on the six about like five fifty in the morning, and there are so many people in those first few stops in Manhattan that are sleeping down there or even sleeping on the trains. To where somebody comes by, you know, at one stop, here's my granola bar. Like the next five stops, someone else is coming by. Uh, so, at least from my perspective, like the the incidences of, of homelessness are increasing. Mm-hmm. I know, like 
everybody probably who's been to California or Southern California and LA is aware of like how large the homeless population yes. is there. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know that I'm quite smart enough to, to offer solutions for it, but I do think that's a really cool campaign that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, again, I, um, and I, and I was, I was also susceptible to this and, and, uh, you know, the idea that, oh, this person just doesn't want to get a job or this person, you know, isn't motivated. But, you know, again, you, you, you go through life and your, your mind changes and you see different things and your perceptions change. And, and, um, that's, uh, again, going back to my own experience, I felt that yes, it was intense, but it wasn't so intense. And, you know, retrospectively, I'm like, I went through it for a reason. I went through it because I needed my 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 perception to change about these people. And again, there are some bad apples because I, I I experienced it. There are people that, you know, they have a lot of money that they just don't utilize it the proper way, and that might be what you know turns people off from from being so giving and being so gracious to give someone a dollar or, or, or a few cents. But a majority of them are are hurting, mm. and they've been through it. And I went through it, you know, and I, I consider my time like one cycle. You know, I went through all of these steps that led to nowhere. But imagine these people going through this five, six, seven, eight times over. Or just imagine someone who has everything in the world one day and then the next day just don't. Mm. You know, and that's another thing that people have to realize is that, you know, homelessness, it, it doesn't matter what race you are, what gender, what your background and your, your religious background, you can be homeless regardless of that. It doesn't matter. And again, I think people just have this misconception of who's homeless, you know, what they're about, what are their intentions. These people have been through the ringer. And I empathize with them and I wanted to use my show and my Insta to say, hey guys, you know what? Um, yeah, you see all this food that I have on my on my page? Yeah, super fun. But you know what? I was that guy. I was that guy in the train who couldn't find a place to sleep. So I had to ride, you know, the four train back and forth mm. just to get four hours of sleep and, <sighs> and, and be scared that someone was right. going to mess me up of course. on the train. Right. So that right there is like, you know, that's the reality of what those people go through. Yeah, I just read this article too about how like uh, New York City was relocating homeless people to like the middle of the country mm. <laughs> rather than like um, trying to fix like class and income inequality problems here. Yeah. Um, all right, that's probably a conversation for uh, <laughs> people much smarter than me. But I have a couple of like like insider questions for you. Yeah, sure. So, you know, with access to the internet and the ability to make content, like anybody can do it nowadays. Which is really great, um, but it also gives you a sort of a spectrum of of quality, right? So, like, there's really terrible podcasts. There's really great podcasts. Um, there's really terrible blogging. There's really good blogging, and maybe it's it's subjective. But uh, to you, you know, you have a, a pretty good following. What goes into, or, or from your perspective, what is good food content and food blogging? Oh man, uh, that's a good question. Um, or even maybe if it's simpler, like, like what do you point to to say, like, hey, this is why I have fifty thousand people following me? Well, I, you know, the the thing that I noticed uh, very quickly, you know, now that I'm sort of like, you know, 
in the mix, and I and I know you know a few folks from from Instagram. It's really about what your intent is, right? So, if you're someone who wants to be a social media marketer, then you got to hit me with some really good facts. You mm. got to tell me how to sell my product, right? Um, and so there are some accounts out there that will offer you a great picture, you know. And and for me, it's like. A great picture. What does that mean? That means that I got to I got to know what I'm looking at. I, I you know I need to understand without reading your caption that that's a burger as opposed to like a blob of meat between mm. bread. <laughs> you know, um, uh, so so that to me is like you know have a good shot where the thing that I'm looking at isn't maybe too close to the screen or isn't too far from the screen and I can just tell what it is right away. Um, give me some angles. You know, I, I love to shoot in angles. Um, not always just straight on, but for me, I think what makes the best thing is your intent and your and your actual content, meaning the caption. What are you saying to me? What are you What are you telling me? Uh, if you're a social media marketer, hit me with something that's going to make me uh, beat the algorithm that everyone's obsessed with, right? right? Or or give me something about my analytics. Um, if you're someone who just um, wants to tell me about your neighborhood. Uh, then, then be specific about where you live. Be specific about the restaurants around you. Just don't post up a picture and say "yum" or give me like a little emoji. That to me is like, okay, I don't care. You know, um, yeah. If, if you're someone who's into really um, exotic foods, then definitely just don't po- post up a picture. You got to tell me what this is. Mm-hmm. Give me some details. You know. Yeah, and as someone who like consumes it, I guess I really like. You know, I was a big Bourdain fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, still I'm a big Bourdain fan. Um, Absolutely, yeah, for sure. But I like authenticity. I like it if it's genuine. You know, I, my lens oftentimes is travel. Mm. And there's some people who have made like a really nice living out of travel. And I can't knock them for that. Uh, but a lot of the times, like, it's not really for me because it's, you know, these two really beautiful people in like really cool clothes and like it's all set up like in front of the location and it's not about the travel, it's about them. So to me, if the food blogger is like, uh, and you know, nothing against beautiful people, but like a, a beautiful woman eating a slice of pizza and it's more about her than the pizza, then what are we doing here? I, I got to say, I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And, um, and again, I, I don't begrudge these people. Right. Uh, More power because, to you. You you, yeah. you beat the system. Exactly. More power to you, but that's also intent. The intent there is to right. put yourself on the spot, not the food. Right. right. So, and 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 I have so much to say about that because um, people would often ask me up until recently, oh, you never put your uh, yourself out there. You never put a picture up. You never put this. You never put that. That's not what my food uh, page is about. It's I think of it as a visual menu. Um, if you want to see mm. my face or what I'm up to, check out my stories. Um, I'm out there, but I'm I'm not going to be holding up food, uh, yeah. and and uh, you know making it about myself. And and again, there's a lot of people who do it. Uh, there's a lot of people who do it that I know personally that I like, but that's their intent. And so I can't say you have to be like me, right? But for me, it's like, well, what what are you really saying? You know, overall, the overall aspect of like, is it about you or is it about this? food mm. or, or I guess the food isn't that exciting that it's about you, you know? And so I don't, you know, that's not my angle. Um, but people are benefiting from it and, yeah. and good for them, but it's hard for me to relate to that. 
Um, and I think I think I can I can get a someone can get away with it if again their caption is really awesome. Like if you're holding, let's say, a piece of steak and it's like a wagyu, you know, steak or whatever, or wagyu beef, and you're just like giving me like the information about this piece of meat, and it so happens that you're holding it up and you're like a you know pretty looking person. Hey, yeah. maybe your po- your caption is actually winning me over. But if you're just holding something and you're giving me nothing with it, I don't really. I don't connect to that, you know, but again, I do know a lot of people who do that. I do like them and, and it's fine. They have their audience and that's fantastic, you know, so I can't ever be like, don't do it, you know? Yeah, I got you. Um, the, the other thing I was thinking, uh, sort of insider stuff is there's a lot of amazing pictures. Like you had the, like the, the ooey gooey burger or something the other day, like it looks amazing. From Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. And, and sometimes it's like massive portions and stuff like that. And I'm looking at like all the people I know that are food blogging and like no disrespect to anyone, but I'm like, hey, you guys aren't 300 pounds. Yeah. Like, how are you doing this every day? So I'm like, you guys go with like a group of people and you're sharing. Uh, are you eating all the food? Like, how is this so, working? So I'll give you some information that maybe, you know, not too many people would want out there. Um, I personally, I eat everything you see. Okay. Uh, the only form of exercise, and I've said this many <laughs> times, the only form of exercise that I partake in is I walk. I walk everywhere. I walk for miles and miles and miles. I don't. I don't take a casual stroll. I walk. Yeah, you're right? a New Yorker. Right. Um, I refuse to go to the gym. I refuse to do any weights. <laughs> That's just, I'm not going to do that. I don't care. I don't have the time. Um, but I do walk uh, because people will ask me, how are you not this big? Or, or and I would <laughs> tell them, I should be that big, but this is why I'm not that big. Mm. Um, and actually, a lot of the guys that I hang out with, we do eat our food. You know, these are big, brawny dudes. Mm. And I'm, I'm pretty small compared to them, but... So uh, they definitely, you know, the ones that I rock with, we eat our foods and we and we just have a great time eating our food. What um, more often than not, what ends up happening is that, you know, uh, when I used to do events, and by events I mean, uh, you know, a, a situation where a restaurant will ask ten to fifteen or twenty influencers to come in and sample their menu. People will take like little bird bites, mm. little baby bird bites, right? And maybe pack some of it to go or, or not. Um, whatever I have left over, I always make sure to try to give away to someone, you know, who's on the street or anything like that. Okay. But for the most part, I eat what is in front of me, right? Um, but that's kind of the secret. The secret is that they'll sample it. Um, and then they'll probably spend more time taking pictures of them holding up that yeah. specific food, um, or they'll just pack it up to go. So that's kind of why, you know, <laughs> not, I got you. not everyone is like, I mean, that's you know. what I sort of suspected. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's funny. Cause like we talk about the Queens crew, like the, the few times I've been around some of them, like, yeah, they're eating everything. Yeah. And I'm always just like, how do you do this day yeah. after day? So well, they, you know, I'll, I'll say, I'll say this too. And I, I want to, I want to make sure I add this. A lot of the people that I know that I'm friendly with in this influencer food world, a lot of them do go to the gym. A lot mm. of them do work out. And, yeah. and again, I am completely against gyms, but they do work out. So I don't want to say that everyone is, is you know, not eating their food, but there is a subset that just doesn't, that just 
they don't do it. And, and I go to these events or I used to, because now it's more, for me, it's a little bit more uh, of a personal experience. Like for example, I'll reach out to Nigel and two other people and say, let's go out together as opposed to like a cool. 20 person event. Right. Um, but initially I would be like, you guys are, you're not eating anything. Right. Um, but yeah, a lot of them, a lot of them do work out and a lot of them are just blessed with amazing metabolism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm kind of that not, way. I'm not blessed <laughs> at all. So. <laughs> all right. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Um, okay, cool. So I haven't, I've been, oh, I hope that's not the heat turning on. Do you have crazy heat where you live? Yeah. The clunking? Sure. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, I've been meaning to have someone on to talk about food in New York for like a really, really long time. So I think that probably like the quintessential New York food, if, if people are thinking about what comes out of New York, is like pizza, right? Or like pizza or, you know, like hot dogs on the street. Right. Uh, Yeah, bagels. I'm sure people like are aware of delis and sandwiches and stuff like that, like very New York things. Um, But obviously, like New York is so incredibly diverse. Um, I'm thinking, too, of like something that people might not even think as a New York thing. It sounds silly, but like a bacon, egg and cheese, like a a school special, we call it like for the kids, Right. right? You get your bacon, egg and cheese and an iced tea for like two, three bucks. Yeah. Or, or even like like a beef patty. Like right. I think something that people don't maybe or maybe overlook is like, yeah, bodega food. Like beef patties and bacon, egg, and cheese is like they sell thousands of those a day across the city. Uh, to you, maybe it is one of these things, but what do you think is like the quintessential New York food if someone's visiting New York that they have to try? Well, you know, being Dominican, I, I have to go to the to the Latin uh, food, and for me, it's like uh, if I were to recommend any type of food, it would be cuchifrito, and cuchifrito is basically just like a lot of fried Latin food. Mm. Um, uh, if if you do look up that uh, Anthony Bourdain episode where Bourdain goes to the Bronx. Um, and again, the place is called Bakery Cuchifrito. It's essentially that. You have a lot of fried foods. You have um, Puerto Rican cuisine. Um, you have Dominican cuisine. Um, I, for me, that's that's kind of quintessential for me. Okay. You go to a Cuchifrito spot. You go to a, a Dominican spot. You, you find a Cuchifrito truck. That, to me, is quintessential New York food. Um, and yes, it's because I'm seeped, of course, into the culture. But it's, it's something that I see being emulated, let's say, south of Washington Heights. And the more I see it going downtown, Dominican food, Latin food, you know, Puerto Rican, Caribbean food, the more I see it going downtown, the more I realize this is a New York food. This is something that Mm. they want to replicate, you know, at, let's say, West 4th, that they see something, you know, that they saw in Washington Heights or Inwood. So it's becoming this thing where, for me, it's so ubiquitous, it's so everywhere, Latin food. That's quintessential, you know. It's it's you know you you should have some chicharrón, you should have some fried pork, you should have all of that. Like that to me is quintessential New York City food, you know. Besides, of course, the classics that you mentioned, but yeah, land food is quintessential. Yeah, I'm with that. I, I mean, this <laughs> might, dude. Even if we want to talk about tacos, like this might be sacrilegious to Californians, but mm. um, there's so many good. Like you mentioned. Uh, like food trucks or even like little right. pop-up stalls. Yes. This is an amazing place over here on, on Harrison Street. But even like I lived in Sunnyside for a bit. Mm. And the best thing to me after like a night of out, out drinking was on, uh, was it Roosevelt Ave? I forget what, or maybe, it's, I forget what the main street there that the seven runs on. Mm. Uh, but there was this torta truck. So like Friday and Saturday night at yeah. like 2 a.m. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm going to get like <laughs> the three different meats on a torta and like, 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, you mentioned living in Bay Ridge. Oh, God, what is the place? There was a place in Sunset, something El Yaguar or something. Mm. Uh, and they have like three different spots, but they would have like mofongo and stuff like that. And right. it's just, right. oh, so, so good. Yeah, yeah. And like really good for like soaking up a belly full of booze. Yeah. yeah. See, it's like, it's, it's, it's a food that, you know, a lot of us have had and, and, and you know, whether you're Latino or not, doesn't matter. It's, it's just, it's everywhere. And for me, that's, that's quintessential. Like that's New York City. You know, there's, there's so many people from the Caribbean who live here and that food is just so damn good that it's like, yeah, you can come and have your classic bagel and your pizza. That's all good. I mean, you know, uh, debating about pizza, that's like never ending, right? But, but some, there's something that just literally warms the soul when you have rice and beans and you have some pork or you have some plantains. Like that to me is just... That's New York. Yeah. That, that's straight up New York City for me, you know? Hell yeah. <laughs> Let's say you were to get pizza, though. <laughs> right. Where, where would I go, right? Um, you yeah. have so many options. I know. Um, I know. This is like, this is, it's, it's, I, I feel like everyone's answer is controversial when it comes to pizza. I'll give you mine first. Okay, okay, fair because enough. Because if I'm getting pizza, I honestly think just like a regular Plain cheese slice right. is is what sure. to get, but I said again proximity. Living in Bay Ridge, if I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it, but like LMB Spumoni Gardens, uh, those uh, big Sicilian pies you get there, sure. really really good, man. Like we used to get it and bring it home and freeze it and just like eat it up during the week. <laughs> I love that place. So I'm gonna say something that is gonna rub you the wrong way. Okay, I think that spot is overrated. Oh. Yes, hundred percent. I was, I was, um, when I when I was living in Bay Ridge, that was one of the first spots that I was recommended. Okay, and they were like, "You gotta try L and B's." Oh my god, your head's gonna explode. This and that. I'm like, "Listen." Are you only talking about the pizza though? Well, I've I've had the because you can't correct. eat anything there. No, correct, except for right. the pizza. No, no, just <laughs> yes. We're we're talking just okay, okay. And it was so hyped up for me. I was like, <sighs> "Please stop hyping this place up uh-huh. because." I just already it's rubbing me the wrong way. And so I went there and I had it and I just sat there and I was like, man, I don't know. I don't I don't know what to think about it. It wasn't that it was bad. It just that I don't know why people are losing their minds over it. And then I've but I'll say this and and this this these points are awarded to you because <laughs> because no one I've met has agreed with me. No one I've met has agreed with me. I think I think Perhaps maybe one person was like, you know, they 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 were like, oh, I don't know, I'm not really sure if I like it or not, but I don't hate it. But everyone I've mentioned this to, they're like, you're crazy. Mm. That place is amazing, and I'm just like, I don't know. Maybe it's just, you know, and and, but uh, hit me with a spot then. Okay, so, but see, this is I'm a little biased about this because I was I was. We all are. Uh, yeah, true, true, right? I was a block away from this particular spot for 22 years of my life. Whoa. So, it's a it's a place. Uh, up in northern Manhattan, you take the one train off to Dykeman Street. Okay. Okay. And you walk towards a place called Pizza Palace. Okay. That to me. Now, it's not a classic New York slice. We're not talking, it's not a thin crust. It's not like super cheesy or saucy. I hate to use this word, but it's, it, it, it has like a congealed quality to it where the sauce and the cheese just are married beautifully. So there's not too much of either one. Okay. It's just like perfectly compact. The the crust is a little thicker. 
it's a little doughier for most. Dude, you're selling it right now. <laughs> this, this but I really good. do think it's it's the best pizza I've ever had. I, it's just the slices themselves are pretty large. They're not like comically large, but they're pretty large. And I always tell this is the secret that I always tell people: do not ever get a fresh pie. If you see them making a fresh pie and they cut you up a slice, don't take that slice. Take Whoa. a slice that's been there, right? That the the flavors have settled in, right? Um, and then let them reheat that slice for you, and that's the perfect slice. If it's too fresh out of the oven, if it's like coming right out, do not get it. Nothing has settled in yet, this right? Yeah. So that's my that's my that's my that's my trick. Go into Pizza Palace. Look for a slice that's like either just abandoned by itself or, or a pie that's been cut into already that's been outside for a few hours, hopefully. Grab that slice. Perfect. Like the Charlie Brown slice. I like that. <laughs> this is going to sound so ridiculous, but I was my dad, when we were kids, he, he worked near the Entenmann's factory on Long Island. Oh, man. And he used to buy like crumb cakes. That I used to love Entenmann's crumb cakes. This is ridiculous. I love but Entenmann's. I used to not like it when it was first opened. Mm. Mm-hmm. I used to like it like the next day and I would eat a piece of it then because it tasted different after yeah. it like settled. I totally get that. I totally get that. I get I get that with a lot of foods. You know, you just want that flavor to settle in or 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 yeah, just something about like it being open in front of you right away just doesn't work for you unless it's like the next day or something. You know, but uh but yeah, with that uh with that particular pizza spot, I I lived there a block away for 22 years and Whenever we would order in, I was so disappointed. I was like, oh, no, it's a fresh pie. This is not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would literally cut up my two slices or, or just put two slices to the side and have them for, like, breakfast because I was never happy about the fresh pie ever, ever. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I actually get the, the Spumoni thing, too. So, like, I really loved Pock Pock. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Right. That was a great spot. Yeah, I went there a few times. I liked it, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But... At the same time, like you can go to, like you said, Jackson Heights or you can go to Elmhurst. 100%. And you can get it cheaper and honestly, maybe kind of better. Um, yeah. 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 And, and I realized that, um, you know, when I finally got to compare because I went to Pock Pock and it's like, oh, okay, great. I'm going to go and all this food sounds amazing and this and that. But I was I was also not spending that much time in Queens. And that's the thing. Queens is such a game changer. Yeah, man. That once you're there... You can and, and and you really experience the cuisines in Queens. You can you can come out there kind of a snob, which is oh, yeah. fine because Queens allows you to be a snob because they have so many options to to choose from. Um, some of the best tacos I've had in New York City were from a supermarket. I'm sorry, no, a bodega in Queens. Oh yeah, you just walk to the back and yeah. and you're getting some amazing, you know, uh, tacos and and you know then you have more you know fancier places that are charging you three twenty five per taco. Like, are you kidding me? And they're the size of your baby sister's hand. Like, are you kidding yeah. me? Like, this is crazy. Like, it's just not. It's 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 just it's um again it's like you you walk around the city and you every every neighborhood has its own feel and vibe. And and once you get that perspective of where you are and the food around you, your mind just opens up. Like it's just crazy, you know, to to know the difference between tacos in Queens, tacos in Brooklyn, tacos in Manhattan. It's just it's there's so many things to choose from. That's like when we started this conversation out. Like New York can be crushing, right? New York can be a hard place to Absolutely, live. Absolutely, man, it's exhausting. But but you can take that seven train through Queens. 
and you literally get food like as close to the source as possible mm-hmm. from Thailand, Jamaica, Nepal, yes. Indonesia. Um, you get out to Flushing, Korea. There's great Chinese food out there. And it's like, damn, like you can't beat this. No, no, no. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's true. You cannot beat that. It, it's, um, it's a plethora of food in the city. And that's one thing that kind of keeps me here, you know, because the older I've gotten, uh, when I was younger, I was like, oh, I'm never leaving New York regardless. And now it's like, oh my God, I'd love to have a house somewhere and just like get out of this madness. Even though maybe up until last year, I was like, I'll never leave New York. But now it's like, okay, you know what? This city is very intense. But the thing that keeps me here is the food. Mm-hmm. It's the food. There's just no other place, I feel, in this country that you can find the types of food that you find in New York. You just can't do it. It's just impossible. And it's because of you know the obvious, which is this city, uh, it's, it's a hub for, for immigrants to come. And they bless us with their amazing food. And you just do not get that anywhere else, you know? I was just thinking that, man, and I think that's like, not necessarily that it's centered around food, but that's why New Yorkers reacted so strongly to the initial travel ban that happened and to yes. all this talk about, right. you know, uh, limiting the amount of refugees who can come into the country. Because right. like right. we live in this diverse city and we know like how much value that diversity adds to our lives. 100%. I mean, th- this building right here, like this is an entirely Hasidic neighborhood. Mm. We walk two blocks that way, and there's a lot of Latin food. Right. <laughs> you know, it's and it's harmonious. Like no one, no, no, I mean, you know, obviously New York City is not always harmonious at right. all times, but the the diversity largely is harmonious. And like we see how much value it adds to our lives. That we're like, damn, like why would we not want these diverse communities? Yeah. But yeah, food is like a really good representation of that in New York. It's it's it's. One of the best representations of that in New York. And and when I was living in Brooklyn uh, last year, I was living in Clinton Hill. And so, you know, I'd, I'd walk around that neighborhood and I'd, I'd walk further north. And, you know, every neighborhood now, it, it just, they, they sort of blend into each other. Um, so for me, at least for me, it's kind of hard to know where I am. But I can always, of course, gauge who's around me by the food. Mm. I just have to look at these restaurant storefronts and I'm like, oh, okay, this must be uh, a, a Guyanese section of, of Brooklyn or, yeah. or this must be, you know, a Hasidic part of Brooklyn. Um, that's, these visual cues are just amazing. It's like you're, you're walking into these little versions of their world and they're, and they're showing it to you through their food. And that to me is like, again, you, aesthetically, visually, you do not find that anywhere else. Um, so so heavily as in as in New York. Yeah, I mean, because even like I think of a city like I was in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, and it's so unbelievably the the food scene's amazing, mm. and it's so diverse. But it's diverse in the world of Asia. So like there's there's a lot of Indians there. There's a lot of Thai there, Chinese, Malays. But you also have that in New York, and you have right. people from Latin America. You have people from all over, like West Africa, even East Africa. Um, so yeah, man, like New York's an amazing food hub. It is. It is. It's. It's. Uh, if I ever do decide to leave New York, which you know I'm always debating, but I, I see myself. I feel like the more I de- I debate it internally, the more I'm just like never gonna leave. But that would be. It'd be hard to walk away from from what I could you know get here. Food-wise, and and you just that of course leads to 
building relationships with great people, you know, and I've met many chefs that I would have never met um, had it not been for my either one of my platforms and just to understand the history of their food and where they come from. That to me is just as important as the food, mm. you know, and of course, uh, food means more to me when people explain to me why it means so much to them, you know, and if we don't have diversity in this city, then we're not going to hear those stories. Yeah. They're not going to be, they're not going to be a thing, you know, and then what are we just going to have? Pizzas and bagels? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like... All right, I'm going to recommend a few spots and that'll maybe give you some time to, to think of a couple because Got it. Um, we, we've already recommended a bunch of spots, but I'll often have people like visiting me in New York or people that ask, oh, what, what should I go do and see? Um, and you know, like I think a lot of people come and they want to see Times Square and they want to see all the things that like actual New Yorkers don't really do. Sure, <laughs> um, sure. So my lens often is Asia because I keep traveling there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we mentioned like flushing. I think people should go around flushing, go to Elmhurst. Like I said, Woolrung Salasa, uh, Dewey, the, the chef there has been on here. Um, but kind of like where we lived in Bay Ridge, Sunset, Bensonhurst area, take a food crawl down 8th Ave. Um, you can get really good Vietnamese bami sandwiches. Mm-hmm. There's a really good Taiwanese fried chicken spot. There's some places like Chinese noodles and dumplings and things like that. Um, obviously, um, Manhattan's Chinatown is really amazing. There's a place I went recently called 886, mm-hmm. Taiwanese place. Uh, and it's really like, it's, oh man, it's so good. And Winson also here in Brooklyn, they now have a, the Winson bakery here in Williamsburg. I haven't gone, but when I was in, uh, in Taipei city, I loved Taiwanese breakfast because it was so damn cheap and for like $3 US you'd get you get like a, a bowl of hot soy milk and you could get it either sweet or savory. I loved it savory. <laughs> and you'd get like a fried almost like a churro thing oh, uh, that you dip into it. Um, and radish cake and fried eggs and all this amazing stuff. It kind of reminds me like you're talking about a Dominican breakfast. These things, I say this not to insult anyone, but they're almost like like workers' breakfast, like farmers' breakfast, like yes. the, the type yeah. of thing that you would eat to get tons of calories. Yeah, for sure. To power through the day. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah and that's that's that's. Um, I tell that to people too about Dominican breakfast. It's it's um, it's so heavy. Yeah. Because it's exactly what you had to eat calories yeah. to sustain yourself for the day. Yeah. You know, because I, I mean, honestly, you could have a Dominican breakfast and you just open up your bed and go to sleep. <laughs> you're you're done after that, right? But that's exactly why it was so big. Yeah. And it's different food, but that Taiwanese breakfast reminded me of that. And that now you can get that that here in, in New York at Winson or at eight eight six. So that's really exciting. So those are my recommendations. But before we sign out here, like, uh, are there any places that you think people really need to check out that first come to mind? So uh, the first spot that I really enjoy is a Colombian restaurant. Uh, it's in uh, Morris Park, which is in the Bronx, and it's called La Masa. And they have um, a great selection of, of traditional Colombian cuisine. Um, but they also have a great um, vegan menu Ooh. as well. Uh, so that, that, you know, again, having gone through my whole veganism thing, I recommend that spot because it's a spot that you can get some great dishes, but you can bring your vegan friends and they'll have something very similar to, you know, what you're going to have yourself. Um, I mentioned uh, Puerto Viejo, of course. 
great spot uh, for Dominican food. And they also have vegan options. Now, of course, like I also said, you know, you can always make a Dominican meal vegan, but they have a specific vegan menu as well. So that's another great spot to go to. And uh, actually, it's probably going to end up being all these spots I already mentioned because the number one spot that I would tell people to go to is 188 Bakery Cuchifrito. Cool. That's just... For me, that's the place that I feel like I've drilled that place into people's heads over and over again. But God, now really I got to check it out, man. But that's... it's really great because it's, first of all, it's super inexpensive, which Latin food should be, okay? Because mm. I have a real problem with certain spots. Unfortunately, mainly in Brooklyn, where you walk in and they give you like a pea sized serving of Latin food. Latin mm. food is meant to be eaten in giant portions because, again, that's sustainability, mm-hmm. right? You have to eat these big meals because that's how it was when you were working out in the farms. So you're supposed to have large portions. It shouldn't cost that much. Um, and so a lot of these restaurants that I go to, or a few, I, I shouldn't say a lot because I actually have ignored them, but too many of them have this thing where they're overcharging you for small portions and, and just, you know, for me, it's, I'm not about that. So 188 is inexpensive. The food is amazing. It's like walking into like your Dominican or Puerto Rican grandmother's kitchen. Awesome. Um, they have amazing drinks. Um, so that would be the that would be the number one spot. And of course, Pizza Pizza Palace and Dykeman. It's just again, it might not be everyone's cup of tea because it doesn't have that quintessential New York City slice feel. Though I could recommend two spots real quick in the Bronx. Yeah, sure. Um, one is, uh, it, this is from my old hood in uh, Throg's Neck. So you go to Tommy's Pizza, which is exactly the classic thin crust uh, slice where you have this this firm crust and then you have that like that nice cheesy pull when you take a bite. It's just friggin' awesome. Hell yeah. Um, and then you have Louis and Ernie's, which is, um, I'd say about, I don't know, like a mile or a half mile away from Tommy's, also in the same uh, neighborhood. Um, it's been there for about, gosh, I want to say either 60 or 75 years. I always forget the, the amount, but it's been there for a long, long time. And it's, um, also very, uh, very classic New York city slice. It's, um, it's a place that's so revered and, and they know it too, that they don't even offer delivery. It's like, you got to go there Whoa. to get their, their pizza. Um, giant port, like giant slices, Good, nice, firm crust and just like this. Um, they, they always, I don't know what cheese they use, but it's like the best cheese uh, that I've had. Uh, of course, excluding, once again, Pizza Palace up, yeah. up in Dykeman. But uh, yeah, so the number one spot would be 188. La Masa has uh, great Colombian food, great, you know, vegan options. Puerto Viejo is a great Dominican spot. And Tommy's Pizza and Louis and Ernie's are great pizza spots if you want to sort of venture off, you know, and not focus on... Brooklyn, let's say. Cool. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Well, let's actually, uh, let's plug your stuff because I want people to awesome. follow the Instagram. I want them to check out the show. Um, how can they do that? How can they do that if they're not in New York and want to watch, if that's possible? Right. So the show uh, Foodie Down Bronx airs locally on BronxNet. The show airs Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. Uh, you could also watch it on BronxNet.org, which okay. is their website, or you could just find clips on YouTube. So if you type in either Foodie Down Bronx or you type in BronxNet and subscribe to their page, the show is on there. Um, and then my Instagram page is The Hungry Dominican. You can also find me on Facebook, same name as well. And uh, I, I tweet, but I don't really... 
I don't tweet often. Yeah, so you, you can find me on Twitter, but I actually don't really tweet that much about food. I get into like conversations about movies mostly. Oh, okay. <laughs> and like stuff that really doesn't have to do about uh, food, but uh, I do tweet. So I, I am on the Twitters. Yeah, so you're a Star Wars fan. Oh, I'm I'm um, I'm obsessed with Star Wars. Obsessed with Star Wars. And I didn't even uh, grow up watching those movies. I thought they were corny, cheesy. I oh, dismissed them. I swear to you, man. I I'm a newbie. I uh, became a huge fan when uh, the Force Awakens came um, came out. Uh-huh. So that was 2015, I think. Um, it just looked so sleek and so cool. And I'm I'm you know I'm I'm a JJ Abrams fan. So um, I decided to like revisit the films when uh, the movie came out. And so I marathoned even episodes one, two, and three. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was uh, I was really blown away by the original trilogy. I was really really blown away. There was a lot of things that I I regret not growing up with those films. Mm. Um, But the thing that I really connected with was that, you know, those first three films um, are really a father and son story. Oh, yeah. And to me, it's just... And it's the hero's journey too, right? Yeah. They're just beautiful, beautiful films. I'll say this real quick. When I watched the first one, A New Hope, that does not feel like a movie to me. That feels like an event. Mm. It never ceases to amaze me how that movie was made. All the, all the BTS is amazing. It never ceases to amaze me how Lucas made those films, like produced them and, and came up with the money. And it, they were pretty much independent films, at least the first one was, right? Um, so all of that behind the scenes story and the actual film itself, just it's like I'm looking at it for the first time, really. It's just, I love those movies. Dude, you need like a, <laughs> you need a nerd podcast or something. You need a fan I'll podcast. It. Yeah. I'll take it for sure. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, listen, man, thank you. This was a, a real treat to have you on thank and you uh, a I pleasure and an honor. I appreciate you reaching out and inviting me on your show. Yeah, of course. All right. Cheers, man. Cheers. That is a wrap on episode number 134 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you to Emmanuel for joining me for this episode. Thank you to all of you Voyagers out there in the world for listening, for sharing, for tuning in, all that good stuff. As always, folks, please take care of each other. I will catch you next time.